we wanted to build something from scratch. And what we've learned is it is really hard to design, engineer a product, and then manufacture it. So as, as we experience this issue firsthand, it's like, man, how do you get around this? I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? All right, today on the podcast, I'm going to talk about a couple things. I want to give an update on where we're at with the $3 million challenge. Second, I want to talk about a framework that we've been using that has like transformed how we run growth. And then finally, I want to hit on how I've changed my opinion on something. It actually pertains to the $3 million challenge and how we think through building a, a portfolio of companies. So let's actually start with that. So as you all know, you know, we have a growth marketing agency, we grow companies, but our goal is to grow our own. So we launched something, which is a $3 million challenge. We're like, hey, let's launch our own companies. So we set up a productized service, one day design. We've gotten that to six figures where we do zero focus web pages in a day, we do design, we do development. So that one's been going well. It's a great acquisition product. We're still figuring out retention, but, but it's moving along. We have a second company, which is an e-commerce company. It's called Handsome Chaos. And here's the problem with that one. We wanted to build something from scratch. And what we've learned is it is really hard to design, engineer a product, and then manufacture it. The, the lead times are insanely long. So as, as we experience this issue firsthand, it's like, man, how do you get around this? And so I was actually listening to a podcast the other day. It was the My First Million podcast. And they had a really interesting episode. And it was with Saeed Balki. And he is someone that he owns over 30 companies. And he's really from the mindset of buy rather than build when it comes to companies. And I've, I've read the book Buy Then Build. I've, I've gone down that path of researching micro-private equity, but I don't know what it was about the podcast, but it, it really struck a chord and made sense. And in that podcast, he actually referenced a book. And the book is called The Diendo Investor, The Low-Risk Value Method to High Returns. Now, you might have just fallen asleep as I read the title of that book. It doesn't sound like the most riveting read, but as I got into it, I had all these light bulb moments that really has inspired how we're thinking differently with the $3 million challenge. So I'm going to give you a quick summary on this book and why I think it's impactful. And it should maybe make you rethink how you think about building your own company versus buying your own company and how to do things. So let me dive into it. So the book is written by Monish Parabi, I apologize if I butcher that name. He's one of the most successful investors in markets all around the globe. And it shares his various principles that help in understanding the basics of getting high returns on your investments. So notice how I'm not saying about starting a company, but thinking of your dollars and what you do as an investment, even if it's an investment to your own business. So here's kind of the, the we'll call it the eight key takeaways from it. So first, Focus on buying existing business. Monish starts by explaining how the Patels 
was a family that bought lots of motels in the US, a well-defined business model. It is way less riskier than starting a startup with an absolutely new idea that is untested with a market you don't even know. There's so much risk there that I think we kind of gloss over. Second, it talks about buying simple businesses with ultra slow changes in that industry, which is kind of counterintuitive because we always want to be innovative and think of the great next thing. So this idea is similar to the investing strategy strategy of Warren Buffett, right? Invest in simple businesses, which even a fool could run rather than investing in businesses that require high skilled people and lots of training. So businesses like anything around technology or banking really require those high skilled people to run them. And those industries can really dramatically change. He wants to avoid those. The third, he hits on buying distressed businesses in distressed industries, right? So going back to the example of the motel industry in the 1970s, it was highly distressed because of high oil prices. There were fewer travelers on highways, which led to this distress. But the Battelles bought this business at a highly discounted value, which was beneficial for them as the situation started to normalize, right? So there's that famous quote, be greedy when others are fearful, be fearful when others are greedy. He then talks about number four, buy businesses with a competitive advantage, right? So the idea of a moat. So with that same example, he explains how motel business, other motels had to keep workers for room service and other activities, whereas they had their family members as their staff. And they would even live in the hotels. So their competitive advantage was that they could run these motels at a very low cost. Uh, the, the fifth point is bet heavily when odds are overwhelmingly in your favor, right? So that's when you want to take those big bets when you de-risk it. So after Patel saw that they can rent their motels at prices lower than their competition because of that unfair advantage of how they operate them, they even bought motels which were bankrupt from banks by paying a very low price, taking the rest of a loan, and this enabled the Patels to earn high amount of return on their investment at a very low risk of losing just the money they put on that business and the initial investment. Number six, he talks about focusing on arbitrage. So the book explains how arbitrage can help a business grow immensely, right? Where do you have this unfair advantage? So like the example they hit on is with Geico, it sells its policies directly to customers in the auto segment. So it cuts out that middleman, which saves 15% of operating expenses expenses that they pass directly to, to the customer. So that gives an unfair pricing advantage. Number seven, he talks about this idea of margin of safety. The more discount you get on an asset, the greater margin of safety you have, right? So Manish asks his readers to buy the asset significantly below its intrinsic value and its expected future cash flow, which will automatically give you returns over a long period. Also ensure that you will lose much less if the bet goes awry, right? And he has this quote like, heads I win, tails I don't lose much. And then the final point was actually my favorite. He says, invest in copycats rather than innovators. You know, he asks investors to invest in these copycats rather than innovators. Because innovators have to spend too much of their time, effort, and money trying to find new things. But replicators just have to replicate with very little effort or money. Give some examples of some of the biggest companies who are actually replicating things from Microsoft to McDonald's. He even states that when he was copying his own ideas for investment strategy, he just copied Warren Buffett's. He considers Warren Buffett like the guru and replicates his strategy. It's clearly worked extremely well. So as I'm reading this, 
it's inspiring me. But then I look at my actions. I'm like, oh crap, I'm doing the complete opposite of what this book is saying. How should I think differently? So we flipped our approach. Instead of starting from scratch, we're now looking at, hey, what are companies that could fall within this line of thinking, within these principles um, that we could acquire, that we could get a majority stake, we could get a minority stake. And so I'm really fired up because we have identified one of those. We are in the final stages of talking with them and about to sign the paperwork to complete that, that acquisition. And when that's done, I'll be able to come on and talk about it. But we really try to look at these principles and ensure that aligns with this decision we're going to make. Because if we buy a company and it's a direct-to-consumer company that's already throwing off profit, one that is already in the market and has a product, we're doing two things. We're de-risking the validation of an idea. But two, and maybe more importantly, we're shortcutting the process of building a product from scratch, which can take years when you're in the manufacturing or D2C space. So more to come on that, but hopefully that's inspiring. I'll put a link to the book. I'll put a link to the My First Million podcast episode that, that really inspired this whole conversation in line of thinking. All right. The second thing I want to hit on, um, this is for anyone that's like approaching Q3, Q4, and you're like, how the heck do I build a growth strategy? Or maybe you're launching your own thing. Maybe you're lo- running a team and you're thinking through, okay, here's how I need to run growth. So first off, if you're going to create a growth plan, a growth strategy, stop. That is not the solution. It's not a plan. It's not a to-do list. I would reposition it and think of it as a calendar. Because if I've learned anything, as you start to do something, you become overwhelmed. You have limited time, money, and resources to where you lose focus. But if you can calendar things, it might actually get done. So let's talk about a framework we use, which is called the the 12-month growth calendar. So first, imagine, you know, 12 months. And I want you to think of a bunch of items you would do over those months. And we're going to put them into two simple categories. One category is the always-on growth tactics. So these are things you're doing throughout the year. You're always doing meta and Instagram ads. You're probably always doing search ads. You're always doing SEO. You're always doing conversion rate optimization, always doing email marketing. So you have to ask yourself, what are those always on channels you're doing and how can you be black belt at them? How can you be best in class? A lot of times I see people, if you're an early stage company, try and do too many and you're kind of half-assing it where you should do less and do them really well. For bigger companies, it's thinking how you innovate on top of these and don't just copy other strategies. That's a whole other talk to get into. So that's one category of building out a calendar of those always on channels. So it's like, hey, Q1, you know, we're really getting our email flows and everything ramped up in content marketing. Q2, we're putting our foot on the gas with ads. Q3, we're launching a community and our referral campaigns. So things to think through. All right, so the second category of your calendar, we'll call it growth events or marketing moments. We're always on is always on. These marketing moments or growth events, they're kind of like turbo boosts that you can do. You can't have them on at all times, but you can deploy them throughout the year. So if you're a direct-to-consumer company, one growth event is around a product launch. You're launching new products, new categories, new colors, new patterns. Ask yourself how frequently you're doing that over the years. Is it weekly drops? Is it monthly drops? The second thing is, is you look at your campaigns. What influencer campaigns are you doing? What partner collaborations are you doing, right? What are those things that are coming up? Where you're partnering with influencers, you're looking at other related brands to do collabs. Another one 
is really thinking through promotions and giveaways, right? We know this is a slippery slope. Like, when are you doing it? Maybe Q4, you're leaning into it. In Q1, when it's trough season or, you know, demand isn't as high, you could be doing it. You also have these ideas of PR moments, picking a fight, writing a trend. How do you make noise in a creative way? You can also do things like a podcast tour, different PR blitzes. You have this idea of engineering as marketing, where you're actually building products where the goal is just to make noise. And for me, the, co- the companies, brands, or startups that I see constantly outperform others, they're the ones that aren't just good at the always-on channels. They are phenomenal at engineering marketing moments and growth events. And here's the last thing I want to give you as you think through engineering your content strategy and your marketing moments. It's really around what is the seasonality of your business, right? So let's say you're, uh, I don't know, let's say you're a, a shirt company that's, that kind of has two peak seasons. It could be summertime because that's when people wear shirts or it could be Q4 because it's gifting season. So that's when it's all about demand capture. There's going to be people that want your product. You just need to make sure you're ready to maximize the demand with lots of inventory. You have a really buttoned up funnel and you're driving the traffic there. But then Q1 could be the season where you have that valley, right? So it's not about demand capture. It's about demand creation. You need to give them a reason to care. That's when you can be more innovative with your marketing strategy, right? So that's when you're doing some crazy collaboration or campaign with an influencer. That could be when you're engineering a new product launch or launching a new category. That's when you pick a fight or write a trend, right? That's when you can think a little bit more outside the box. So something to think about. And I can put a link into the template that, that we actually use to build out this growth calendar. Just because too many times people come to me, it's like, hey, how do we build a growth plan? What's a marketing plan look like? And yes, you can make a pretty PDF or a slideshow. Like, don't get me wrong. I love, I love a good deck as much as the next person. But it's really about calendaring out what you want to do. And if you want to get really fancy, we can talk about putting numbers to it. But hopefully that's helpful. If you like this, I'm down to do some more of these frameworks and tactics that, that we use whenever we're, we're running growth. But that's what I have for you today. Hopefully that this episode was helpful just as far as giving an update on what we're doing with the $3 million challenge, the book that just inspired a, a change in how we're looking at our approach, and then the growth framework. I will say one last thing on the, the update on growth hit. It's interesting because August is traditionally a slow month for agencies. For us, we've actually seen some some nice demand. Obviously, we're pretty aggressive with what we're doing from you know paid acquisition to some of the outbound work that we do in, in content marketing. But to give you some color, this time last year when there was a huge pullback in the market, we really saw that with lead volume for a category. But this compared to last year, it's significantly better which makes me bullish as we go into Q4, right? And so for us, that, that's kind of where our head is at, is really maximizing the, the opportunity in the market right now as we look to grow ourselves. The other thing we're looking to do is invest more in content marketing ourselves in our own frameworks. Would love your feedback if that's helpful at all, sharing what we're doing on, on the agency side. But, but thank you guys for listening. And I can't thank you enough. It is beyond exciting for me. Like I go into Transistor on like a tough day and I love looking at how many downloads we're getting and seeing the growth here. And if, if you like the content, if you're interested in it, if you have two seconds, we'd love a comment. We'd love a like on wherever you listen to your podcast. If that's Apple or Spotify, 
have a great day. Have a great week whenever you're listening to this. And, and thank you so much. I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. Growth Hit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthIt has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people? Or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where remotely talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A plus talent, and here's the best part, it costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose.